Welcome back to the Menopause Movement Podcast. This week, I'm so excited to have Lori Wright on the podcast. Lori was a burnt out workaholic who, as she was nearing her 50th birthday, got tired of settling for what she didn't want in both her marriage and her career. And she decided to up-level her life by leaving her marriage of 25 years and starting a brand new career as a coach at age 55. Now at age 60, she's developed a program called Make the Rest Your Best to help passionless empty nesters create their own unique heart-centered action plans so they are ready to enter their next chapter with renewed passion, purpose, and focus. It's so exciting to have Lori on the show. And in the show, we talk about empty nest, change, transformation, creating community, overcoming beliefs. We talk about some metaphysical, really, we get into some very metaphysical kinds of religious stuff, how to dream a new dream, what anxiety can do to our lives, how we can have such a sense of loss of identity with the empty nest. We talk about the menopause movement membership quite a bit. And we just, we just really spend some, some quality time talking about her life and all the changes that she made. Now, at the end of this episode, make sure you visit the website, drmichellegordon.com slash podcasts. That's D-R-M-I-C-H-E-L-L-E-G-O-R-D-O-N, all one word, slash podcasts, P-O-D-C-A-S-T-S. Don't forget the S. And you'll be able to find the show notes plus uh, the links back to Lori's webpage as well as a link to uh, the Shakeology that we spoke about in the program. Now, if you enjoy this episode, please make sure to subscribe and give us a five-star review on Apple or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks so much for being a part of the menopause movement. Now, here is Lori Wright. Wow, we got Lori here. I'm so excited to have you here, Lori. Um, so Lori, you have, Lori's a coach and she helps women through midlife. So let's, let's just talk a little bit about how you got there. Gosh, so it's been a long journey. And actually, I've only been coaching for about six years. And so late in life kind of career move. But um, the first few years was part time. And it's evolved from health and fitness coaching into more of a life coaching uh, because what I've realized through the process is my heart is trying to help people who at midlife have settled for a life that they don't want. And I want to help them figure out what they do want. So there's a lot of parallels with what I went through in my life. And since um, I kind of started my journey in transformation like 13 years ago to the month, <laughs> almost to the day <laughs> when I left my 25 year marriage, I tell people I have had three midlife transformations in three different categories. So I have one in love, one in career and uh, it, health, health first was my second one. And then career was my third one. So I've, I've now totally transformed. <laughs> yeah, you recently made a huge tra uh, change, didn't you? you yes, I quit my corporate job. I have been in the corporate world since my 20s and have done really well in the technology sector. And in fact, I worked for AOL. So I was one of the people that like helped the internet come to, to play. So it's kind of funny that I am now using the internet as, as uh, my vehicle for helping people. Oh man, uh, but, I just, I just have yeah. to say, you know, I was in medical school in the nineties. I started medical school in 96 and um, I remember so many days sitting at my desk waiting for AOL to dial up with that sound, <laughs> that sound that I'll never forget. And you know, the millennials don't know anything about it, you know, because we got, we got wired pretty quick, but the dial up to get to the internet and, and, mm -hmm how fast it seemed mm -hmm. back then and, and compared to now, I mean, you know, what we're living in now would feel like magic. Yeah. 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 And some places you couldn't even get it. I, I remember I used to have to travel and I'd go to hotels and I'd be like trying to hook into their phone, you know, in the room and some places didn't like have, you couldn't do that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I was there when it was a monthly pay format. And then we had a, a, where we had so much growth that people couldn't get through and kept getting busy signals. 
So one of my good friends, Jerry McDonald, who worked there, she was um, the person responsible for getting all the phone lines <laughs> set up. So that was a crazy time. You know, there's a really great um, series that's on Netflix. I, I can't remember which, which network put it out, but it's called Halt and Catch Fire. If you haven't seen it, you might like it because it's all about the beginning of um, mm -hmm. of the internet and and getting uh, get getting you know getting the computers right and and the personalities mm -hmm. of of people. I mean, it was really uh, I think it was three seasons altogether, and it has some really good acting and very great mm -hmm. right great great writing. But it was uh, it was really compelling to watch because I lived through it. It's like mm -hmm. it's like living through you know watching the Chernobyl series or or uh, you know, I, I watched I watched the the OJ trials back then. Right? Oh, I and my and I was, AOL office, we all like yeah, watched it on the TV. Yeah, but yeah. then but then I watched Sarah Paulson play um you know play the lead in 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 the TV series, and it was just as good. Yeah. Did you see that one? No, I don't think so. Yeah, and then the Menendez brothers, uh, yeah. and their trial was on. You know, um. So it's, it's, it's just a, it's an interesting era, I guess I would say. I lived in LA at the time. And so both of those things, I mean, I remember I was watching the, the NBA finals and they cut away from the NBA finals because of the stupid slow chase of OJ on the freeway. Yeah. Yeah. And we missed, we missed the, uh, we missed, you know, part of the NBA finals. And then it was like a little, little box at the bottom. And, you know, we didn't have, I mean, we have so much more technology now, but yeah. Yeah. So that was, that was, that's a, an interesting, like, yeah. segue. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to go there, but that's where we yeah, went. So, okay. all right. So you worked for at AOL. Yeah, yeah. So I, I was there for quite some time. Um, I was there from when they had 200 people to when they had 90,000 after the merger with Time Warner. So I saw a lot of growth, saw a lot of change and I grew. So I started as a technical writer and I worked my way up to vice president. So it was quite a, a, an incredible uh, learning experience for me. Um, but what I learned through it all is that I never, nobody ever asked me what I wanted to do. Nobody ever, they kept promoting me. I, I worked really hard because I, I am like that. You know, you tell me you need something, I, I'll get it done. So I have that kind of uh, personality. Um, worked hard because there was a lot to do there and I was rewarded for it. But I remember clearly when I was, I worked, uh, I became a project manager. I loved juggling lots of things. I loved setting goals with a team. I mean, and it's funny, that's what I teach now, but I, I loved that. And there was so much diversity because you, a project always ended in a new one. So I was always challenged with new work and new interesting things. So I was like the manager of chat and I was the manager of their email. I, I did, I was kind of the project manager of everything until we started to grow and I had to like help get help. So my boss came in and he said, um, I want you to be the manager of the project managers. And at that point we had like eight and they were all reporting to him. And I said, well, I really like what I'm doing right now was my response. And, and he said, well, I want you to do it. So you think about it and, and, you know, let me know. And I, I remember saying, Eric, who was my coworker, I said, Eric would be good. You, you, so basically I was like saying, Eric can be my boss essentially. And I knew Eric had aspirations. And so he said, no, no, I want you to do it. So I, I went home, I told my husband, of course, my husband, who was a police officer. And so I was quickly became the breadwinner in the family. And he was like, that sounds like a great idea. <laughs> and I was like, well, I don't really, I really like what I'm doing. I'm really happy. Uh, and he said, cause I like, I like a, a diverse group of people, which I had, and I love challenges, which I had. And so anyways, I, four days later, he came in and he said, okay, are you going to do it? And like any good employee, I was like, okay, so I did it. So, and then that led to being a director. And then that led to be, you know, I just kept getting promoted. I remember the day I was promoted to vice president. I, I just transferred into our customer service area. We had like, uh, I mean, I had 5,000 people under me that a lot were outsourced in the Philippines and um, we had five call centers throughout the country, but 
and my team was actually very small. I only had about like, I, I went from a team in the tech, I was in the technology group of like 55 people to a smaller team of like 15, but you know, a larger responsibility. And I transferred thinking it was a straight out, out transfer. And my new boss came in and said, you know, he handed me a piece of paper. He didn't even like say you're a vice president. He, he goes, congratulations on your promotion. I guess. <laughs> and I was like, I looked at the piece of paper and I was like, what? WTF? You know, I was like, and it was so cute. Cause I called it's the first thing you do, you know, you want to share it with your loved ones. And I remember calling my mom and dad and I told my mom that I'd been promoted to vice president. And she goes, you're the vice president of AOL. Oh. <laughs> she had this like image of like one president, one vice president, I guess. And I said, no, no, mom, there's like 250 vice presidents. <laughs> At that point, you know, we were 90,000 people in the company. Yeah. But uh, the point of this story is that no matter what you do in life, you have to want it from the inside from the heart and not because it's what's going to make your parents proud or because it's what's going to make your husband happy or, you know, give you the BMW or Mercedes in the driveway. It's, it's gotta be, if it doesn't come from inside, it's, it's, it's not going to last or you're going to be miserable. Yeah. And, and what happened within a couple of years of, of that job is I started to get anxiety attacks in the, in the, in the job, I had straight, I had straight out anxiety attacks. I was in a room full of people in a conference room and I had an anxiety attack. It was one of those where you just had, you, you, I was talking and I had to like, like leave, like uh -huh. everybody's looking at me, like what happened, you know? So question for you, when, uh, was that, was that before, during, or after menopause? I started there when I was 33, and this was probably 10 years in. So 43? Okay. I was in my so you might have been perimenopausal. Yeah, yeah. 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 So, so because the reason I bring this up is that there's, um, during, during menopause, one of the, a lot of women will say that I'm all of a sudden having anxiety and I'm not performing as well as I think I should, or I don't feel like myself, or I feel like an alien has beamed down and taken up residence in my body. Yeah. Um, and, and while, you know, we can attribute a lot of that to menopause, I mean, we could also, for you, attribute it to the fact that you were doing something that, as my mentor, one of my mentors, his name is Sri Kumar Rao, likes to say, uh, if it doesn't make your heart sing, you shouldn't be doing yeah. it. yeah. It was like I was a, what's the saying? A, a, squ a square, there, I was a round peg being tried to put into a square hole. Yeah. Um, or a square hole trying to be put in a round peg. Yeah, because the square won't fit yeah. around. Um, but anyways, and so I couldn't like relate it. I also had a daughter. Um, I have two daughters and the older one had collapsed from a pulmonary embolism. So that w that happened about the same time. So it was a combination of me just feeling misplaced in my career and me having losing control because I didn't feel, I felt I also had imposter syndrome because I have no, I, I don't have a college degree. Okay. So I, everything I've done is like on the job training. Right. And I, so I was working, my peers were people who had gone to Harvard business school and um, Stanford and, had these like amazing careers prior to AOL. So I think I had, you know, I was comparing myself, which is we should never do. And, and then I had this, you know, near death experience with my daughter. So it was kind of a wake up call for me, like where, and again, I mean, this is, this is over time. And so it's not like one day I woke up and had this reckoning I, 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 it was a, it was a series of things where I just started getting deeper and deeper into uh, knowing that there's got to be more to life than this. And mm -hmm. on top of that, my marriage. So, you know, as most of us go into menopause, we are, we're, we're getting older and our children are getting older. And so my children, even though I worked and I was a, I, I stayed at home for like the first three years and then, cause I was a waitress. So it was like easy to quit that. Um, but before I really started my career, cause I had my kids really young and they went off to college and I, and, and I was even more lost. 
because they, they were my everything. You know, I, I worked, but at, when I came home, it was them and their sports and their activities. And so when they left, it was, it was really a sad time for me. And I'm a real positive person. So, um, but that just tells you how, how bad it was. And so I, well, I was just in a big funk thinking about what, where's life going? And I started to think, am I going to die before I ever have passion in my life hmm. again? And, and I started to question whether I ever had passion. Well, I didn't think I, I, I mean, I, there was a period, a short period at AOL where I had passion because when I was that project manager doing those projects that I loved, but you know, I was misplaced. And I believe I was misplaced in my marriage. I mean, that was my choice, but I had been in love with somebody in college, which was a super passionate relationship. And we had broken up and it just wasn't the right time for us. And I very quickly, he was my rebound, my husband, and I married him very quickly. And he was a great guy. I'm not saying he wasn't a a great guy, but we were always more like friends than lovers. And so you know, I, and I was like somebody who hated divorce. Oh my gosh. It was like, that was the worst word you could possibly say. And then we come from a generation, I think our age where divorce really, you don't, you don't go there. And, and we had, he and I were willing to go to counseling. We had been to counseling throughout our marriage a couple times. One time I was ready to leave, like after six years and went to counseling and I got back on track. And then after 16 years, he was ready and we got back on track. So it was all about, you know, really fighting to save our marriage and our, cause you, you, you know, it takes work and you, you fall apart from each other and kids really direct you to them instead of your relationship. And so, yeah. uh, so I, but we really wanted to keep our family together. I mean that we had a, a unified goal in that. And I also felt like I made, I made vows, Mm -hmm. you know, I made a commitment that I thought, you know, I was supposed to keep forever. But when you get to a point where you, you're dying inside and you think, I mean, I really, I was 47 and my old boyfriend's name, it came up at a reunion and within three months. And the, and the crazy thing is if anybody who's listening, believes in manifestation. So my reunion was sept- end of September. And at the end of October, I was invited to a wedding. Uh, so I went to my uh, friend's wedding in San Diego. So it was the other side of the country, had a little too much to drink and went back to my hotel room. And I Googled my old boyfriend uh-huh. because my old boyfriend, um, I, he didn't live where I lived. I knew where he lived. I knew what he had been doing, his profession. He was in real estate. So I Googled like his name. I remembered his initial, <laughs> his middle name. And I got a phone number, which was a, actually a business phone number. And I left a message. So I guess I'm the poster child of like going after that lost love. You drunk dialed. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Drunk <laughs> dialed. That's what I did. I got a little liquid courage is what I did. Um, yeah. and, um, and mind you, I, I, to be perfectly upfront. I was still married on paper. We weren't, um, intimate. We, uh, he was living actually in another city. So we were kind of living more like brother and sister, I would say. So it was kind of the, what I felt was the, the slow separation of that was ultimately going to happen. Uh, but I'm still not justifying my actions having been a married woman, but I did, um, ringy ding him and um, got a voicemail and left a message that I was basically, this is Laurie, blah, 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 from college. And if call me back. And so, um, and then that was that. It was late on a Friday night. And I went about, the wedding was the next day. And then, you know, by, by kind of Tuesday, I'd forgot. I, well, it was still in the back of my mind. I was like, that was stupid. Well, Tuesday morning, my phone rang and it was him. And I... I remember looking at my phone and realizing the number was his area code and my heart dropping and like beating and then picking it up. And his voice was the same from all those years ago. And I basically, um, we had a long conversation, like 45 minutes catching up. And within a few days we met for lunch halfway. We were like two hours apart. And I came home from that lunch knowing that I wanted 
I wanted to see, you know, what possibilities there were with him. So I came home from lunch and I, I took the next action, which was legal separation. And, and I, we've been together ever since and we've been married for 10 years. So I think um, that liquid courage turned into like sober courage because, you know, that was yeah. like the scariest thing I ever did to, but, but I decided at that point, I, I got to the point. Oh, and about the manifestation thing, he in August had gone out to lunch or dinner with some clients and the woman, cause you know how women are so curious. The woman had said, why have you never gotten married? You just such a nice guy. You've never gotten married. And he goes, well, there's never been anybody like this girl that I dated in college. Yeah. This was like six weeks before my reunion when his name was brought up to me, like, mm-hmm. Oh, have you seen so-and-so? And um, I'm like, why would I have seen him? He's like, we don't even live in the same town. But they, they played rugby. The guy who brought his name up played rugby with him. And so, and then, and when he told me this, when I, and then I called him. So he like put it out in the universe. And she tried to find me because he knew I had worked at AOL. Yeah. She called AOL and he showed me her email that she, she wrote him in August saying, I don't think she worked there anymore because I couldn't find her. And so here, the universe, like, yeah, well, well this is me. really, really interesting. Um, yeah. Because there is and there are, you know, there, there's a field of infinite possibilities. Mm-hmm. And this is part of what I teach. Uh, in in the middle system, and in the membership, we talk a lot about infinite possibilities, and how if we can get aligned with, mm-hmm. with, you know, what it is we want, with understanding, uh, understanding, you know, and, and, and get into a, a life of gratitude and joy. And once mm-hmm. we get into that, then pretty much anything is available to us. Mm-hmm. And uh, if you've read the book, Big Magic by Elizabeth Gilbert, mm-hmm. um, she wrote Eat, Pray, Love. Yeah, I yeah. love that. Yes. I love the story. She had yeah. kind of a reckoning moment. <laughs> so in, 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 in Big Magic, she talks about how uh, she had a story. And she was working on it. And the story was about, and this is a rough paraphrase, but it's, it's really interesting. So she was talking about, she was creating a story that was about a um, contractor in Brazil in the rainforest, roughly, right? So she met another author. She had put it aside for a while. She was going to come back to it. She met another author, author on stage. They shared a kiss, you know, and um, she stopped working on that project. And not too long after that, the other author created this story all about how, you know, the rainforest in Brazil and how the rainforest will swallow up equipment. It was really, it's really a fascinating story. And the reason I bring it up is that, you know, the universe is going to give us so much, right? It's going to, it's going to give us ideas. They're going to come to us, but it's not going to stick around forever for us to take action. Right. And even if you did a drunk dial, even if you did a drunk dial, you did, you did some action. Yes. And that action then led to this brand new life where yeah. you are so fulfilled. So yeah. that's, that's the, the purpose of that story. Well, and I think when you have a few drinks too, the ego kind of flushes away. That's like keeping you in your safe place. And you, you, you allow yourself more to get to that inner voice. It can, it can. I mean, I would argue that with a consistent and regular spiritual practice, you can get get there a lot faster and better. And as a matter of fact, I don't drink anymore and I don't drink anymore because of, because I want to have a consistent and regular spiritual practice. And I find that when I do drink, it interferes with my ability to be in contact with the divine. Yeah. And so I, that was premeditative me. So <laughs> wine, but now I don't need wine. You're very, yeah. very yeah. I pointed that out. We don't yeah. want people going out and drinking. Yeah. Um, no, I'm just saying, I mean, listen, a lot of us have used liquid courage to do all sorts of things. And, and I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I mean, you know, even in my group, my, my membership, we've talked a lot about, um, you know, whether we want to drink or not drink mm-hmm. for me, it, it's not that I've had any trouble with it, but I found that, that not drinking um, is just an easy decision mm-hmm. once I made it. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I do go to a lot of conferences. You and I are at a lot of the same conferences and oftentimes it'll be cocktail parties. Mm-hmm. And I 
decided, you know, at those cocktail parties that the best thing to do is just have, you know, soda water with lime. And then people think I'm drinking, but I'm not really drinking. Exactly. That's the and, best. Yeah. And what I, what I, but the other thing, I mean, getting off on a tangent here about alcohol, but just, just to say is that um, the last time I was back in, well, not the, the time before the last in Southern California for our, for our uh, next level meeting, mm-hmm. um, I stayed with my cousin and I was, um, I was on the road. I was talking to her on the road and I said, you know, I don't understand why I drink. I know why I don't smoke pot, right? I don't smoke pot because I hate the way it makes me feel. Mm-hmm. And it's an easy decision for me. I just, you know, you want to smoke pot? Go ahead. I, I have no judgment, but I don't like how it makes me feel because I feel like a 15 year old paranoid, insecure human. Mm-hmm. And then I have to go to sleep, right? Mm-hmm. With so, the monkeys. <laughs> what's that? With the munchies. With the munchies, exactly. But usually I just, I mean, I just feel so, so like, it's just like, feels awful to me. So I just don't do it. So then I think, why do I drink? Because the thing is, is that with alcohol, I feel pretty good in the moment. Mm -hmm. But then I feel like crap the next day. Like I'll have a headache all day or, you know, or um, I won't be able to get out of bed and, or I won't be able to perform like if I want to go for a run or something. So I said, you know, I'm just going to stop this mm-hmm. and I did and so yeah. I don't know if you listen to Brooke Castillo but no. she did an episode on her podcast recently and she interviewed somebody who actually has a, a she she teaches like stopping drinking oh is she like the when you're no beer people um I don't I don't know but she she was it was very interesting I, I was fascinated with it because I don't listen to her a lot but so I was in the car and I was trying to find something to listen to yeah and um and it was very fascinating that the, the girl who has the program had a problem with it, you know, like blacking out yeah. and stuff. But Brooke has since stopped and because this woman has made a big difference. But she said exactly what you said. It's easy once you decide. It's like, right. you know, if, if you if you still, you know, it's just a decision. So, yeah, I, well, I think and, and you know what, what we can do is we can take this analogy of alcohol and we can we can apply it to just about anything else. I mean, one of the things that I teach in the membership is behavior <coughs> change. And mm-hmm. I teach I teach behavior change from a scientific standpoint, so that we can understand the psychological and the physical aspects of it. And, um, you know, as long as we're alive, we're, we're wanting, you know, if, if you're in a membership, you know, about menopause or, or whatever, it's, it's, it's about a self-improvement, right? So, mm-hmm. so the assumption is that anybody who wants to come into my membership is someone who wants to some self-improvement. And mm-hmm. so, um, and in the membership, then we talk about, you know, how to create new behaviors mm-hmm. in a way that will stick because mm-hmm. how many of us have gained and lost the same 20, 25 pounds over and over and over. And who wouldn't like to get to a place where they could just drop that weight. Mm. Right. And, Mm. and so we, we talk a lot about the science of behavior change, but you know, I found that in, in doing so meditation plays a huge part in that. Mm -hmm. And without being able to connect to that infinite source of, you know, it's hard to say love or possibility you know, whatever divine, if you want to talk about God and Jesus, that's another option there. But there is, there is something bigger than us. And I have to tell you for the longest time, I didn't believe that. Mm. So well, I think, you know, with a science background, you know, it's like, you want more proof, right? Yeah. 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 You know, it's, it's, it's funny. I, um, (laughs) so I was very religious. Like I believed everything as a teenager. Mm-hmm. And I, um, you know, I went to church and I believed that Jesus was the only way. And I was really dogmatic. And mm-hmm. um, as I, as I grew up, I realized that that was dumb and, and that, you know, there's, there's, you know, the, if there's a God, the God has to be much more inclusive than mm-hmm. what the Christians of America will teach. Right. And then I started realizing that it's not Christ. It's the Christians. That's the problem. Mm. right because the the christians decide that the the bible that was written by men which is a mm-hmm. whole nother story we can talk about the patriarchy but you know maybe that's not appropriate for this day yeah. um but that that their their interpretations of this book that was written by fallible men have um created all of this dogma that that you know traps us into certain types of thought prisons mm-hmm Right. And so what I decided to do was start looking at el- el- elsewhere, looking for other 
other ways to think. And one of the ways I found was meditation. And, mm -hmm. and, and then I found, I found guys who teach, you know, guys and ladies who teach the science of, you know, when we meditate, right? And when we meditate effectively, we are actually affecting the epigenetics of our body. So the genes, you know, that's the double helix, right? And on the top of the genes um, are these changeable parts that can be influenced by external forces and internal forces like the way we behave. And so it's fascinating to me. So mm -hmm. I've really gone off on a tangent here. Yeah, but, but that's okay. So you, while you were talking, it, you made me think of this really powerful Oprah Soul Sunday episode I watched. Uh -huh. uh, you and I are consumers of all this um, wonderful, all these people that um, are wonderful and make us think. But her name is just for your listeners. If they want to find this episode, it's not. It's very recent, and it's so funny because it popped up on my phone. And usually, I always watch replays. I don't like to watch things live because I speed them up. Yeah, I'm the but, same way. But it was like, you know, it's just like that little universe, you know, you, you're saying you take the action when it presents itself. Yeah. And like Tony Robbins says, you know, he talks about breadcrumbs. It's like you, there's breadcrumbs and most of the time we walk over them. We don't even see them, but they're there. And so anyways, her name is Sister Joan Ch Chittister, Chittister, Chittister. But she has a really great episode about, you know, God and you know what you know she doesn't think it's a he or you know she just thinks it's in in you know an energy and uh, you know coming from the church you know the the I I just thought she always wanted to be a nun when she was three she had this thing that she wanted to be a nun yeah so it was a very interesting episode well I, I just it. just to uh, address the part about God being male real quickly mm -hmm. um, God is male because of the patriarchy and God is male because of written language. And for anybody who wants to understand that a little bit more, probably the best book I've ever read on how all of the goddesses got murdered by the gods uh, is the alphabet versus the goddess. And mm -hmm. so what happened in history is that initially all the gods were female because females give birth. And so gods were female. And then we had the advent of written language. And we started using the other side of the brain. And as we started using that side of the brain, more and more of the masculine took over. And mm -hmm. as the masculine took over, then these stories of how the goddesses were um, take, you know, broken apart and turned into this, you know, the breast became this mountain and the uterus and, and the reproductive organs became this valley. And so it's, it's, it's really, really fascinating, but, but mm -hmm. it, it is uh, the basis of the patriarchy is written language. And yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's absolutely fascinating stuff. And what's but the name of the book again? It's the alphabet versus the goddess. The alphabet versus the goddess. Yeah, it's a, it's an amazing book. Uh, it's long. How do we get here? I don't. Yeah, know. yeah. no. I. This is where we came. This is why. This is why I don't script these podcasts because I think I think you know we have conversations. So um, it's two menopausal women having these. You know why yeah, we're having you know metaphysical metaphysical you know conversation. But but um, in terms of God, right? God is not male or female. As a matter of fact, um, you know, God, it, even when you go back to the Bhagavad Gita, which, you know, is ancient India, there's three parts to God. And there's a, you know, there's a, it's, it's, you know, in, a, in the Christian tradition, it's Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And in the Bhagavad Gita, it's three others that I can't remember off the top of my head. But, um, you know, one is like a father figure, and one is like a mother figure, and one is like a spirit. And so there is that it's it's the same. So we're we, if we are made in God's image, then God has to be male and female. And the problem is the patriarchy. And even even to the point where even in 2019, uh, on TV, when you watch TV, when there's a child that that is lost, the question is always, was it a boy? As if as if mm. having a penis makes someone more valuable. Mm. And, you know, having can't come up in, in the corporate world and you probably know that, that, you know, no matter what men are paid more. Um, and I rarely sat at a table with another woman. Yeah. Yeah. Rarely. So you, you, you really, I have a were, really funny story. Do you want to tell me? Yeah, me? sure. But you my were most, a trailblazer and you probably my most know embarrassing, it. my most embarrassing executive 
vice in being an executive at AOL story. And I can't believe I'm, I usually only tell this, you know, having had a few drinks around the table when I'm with people that are like, I like to ask questions like, what's your most embarrassing story? So I'll share, <laughs> I'll share this because you, you know, you never know what's going to come out. Sure. I, um, but your, your readers will probably think this is mm-hmm. really funny or your listeners. So I was, I had my period where you're a doctor, you teach menopause yeah, stuff. Sure. So, well, I'm sure you talk about not having periods anymore. Yeah. That was in the day when I had my period. And so I was busy getting ready for work and I had a cute little sweater on. So I put my sweater on. I knew I need a couple of tampons. I stuck them in my pocket and I went off to work thinking as soon as I get to my car, I'll transfer into my purse. But of course my brain was thinking about work. I get first thing had a meeting. The, the bad thing is that the sweater I put on had half pockets. They, they weren't full pockets. Okay. They weren't full pockets. So I'm all men. It was a big conference table with all men and I'm sitting there and at, at some point I move and my arm hits my pocket and I feel the crinkle of the tampons. <laughs> <laughs> like no woman executive sitting at a table wants to know that she's sitting there with two tampons hanging out of her pocket with all to see all okay. to see. And so, um, so what I did is once I, 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 first of all, I was like mortified when I realized I'm sitting here and the whole meeting that so, thus far, I don't even know how, how far into the meet we were close to the end, I think. Um, they, they all know I have my period now. Um, of course they, most of them probably have wives, children, you know, girls, but I, so what I did to get out of that situation is I just pulled myself up really closely to the table and then I just sat there. And then when the meeting ended, I, I like started a conversation with the person next to me. So I had an excuse to like be the last one out right yeah you know and then i just was like and then i like pretended like i was writing something i don't know what i did but all i know is that i stayed glued to that table which was kind of silly because now that you think about it everybody knew those tampons were there so i probably should have just pulled them out of my pocket and stuck them in what whatever you know purse i had at the time but anyways that made me think of my well i think this is a really good party. example to talk about beliefs <laughs> because you know it's an opportunity to talk about beliefs because you know our beliefs shape our reality right mm-hmm. and in that in that situation the model that you had was that anybody knowing that you had a period was embarrassing mm. right but true what if the you know it was like a good thing bad thing who knows right it was yeah. you know you had tampons in your pocket who gives a shit yeah you know and yeah. and i could see myself now now maybe not back then because I was really weird about my period. But um, I could see myself now, like, if I had tampons in my pocket, it's, just, you know, what the hell? Yeah. I mean, because it's a normal part of, you know, yeah. female life. Yeah. And, um, and so oftentimes, what, you know, one of the things that I like to teach is, you know, if you have a, a thought about something, if you have a belief about something, it's really important for us to step back, observe that belief, mm-hmm. and say, is that belief serving me? Right. Is that, is that truth? Mm-hmm. truth? Is that truth really serving me? Because if it's not, then I can create a new truth. Mm-hmm. And that's right. what I love about the fact that, you know, in midlife and menopause, we can create our lives anew. Right. Know, and it gives yeah. us this opportunity. And that's mm-hmm. something that you teach as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So let's, in the interest of time, I think we should talk a little bit more about, let's, let's hear what, how, how you help women. And well, men so, and people. Yeah, so the evolution is um, got got married, moved, and then was still doing the jobs, you know, the project management stuff that I really didn't love anymore. Um, and then I kind of fell into health and fitness coaching, and I got really, believe it or not, in the best shape of my life at age fifty-five. I was in better. Sh- I did my first pull-up ever. I would. That wasn't even a goal to do a pull-up, but it just happened to be in the program I was doing. I was like, okay, I'll do this. And were you a beach body coach or yes, I was a beach body. Okay. Coach. All, right, I, all right. I was invited to a group. By Are my you dog still doing or, beach body? No. Well, I mean, I love, I love, I drink my shakeology. I love my shakeology, yeah. but I do not, I do not, you know, do the business uh-huh. as they say. Um, I, you know, so I'm, I'm hardcore. I still work out, 
You know, I love, I mean, nothing better than, see, my problem was who wants, I don't want to drive to the gym. I, plus I hate changing and the changing, you know, rooms. Yeah. So I work out in my basement and do the thing and uh, drink my shake and I'm super healthy and I love yeah. that. But so I, I did this program. A lot of people are familiar with P90X. It yeah. was it's the 30 minute version. It's P90X3. Yeah. So it came out about the same time I started coaching. That's really how I got my coaching feet wet was I started to invite people into groups and help them with their health and fitness. And I just loved it. I mean, I, I loved that I was showing people how to live a better life. And I had gained some weight, you know, through menopause, through sure. the menopause process and things, you know, I used to, I was a size pretty much seven, eight my whole life. I, I actually, I was a fat teenager. I shouldn't say the word fat. That's not a very good <laughs> word, but I was an overweight teenager um, and I lost 30 pounds my freshman year in high school. So I was always really focused to kind of an extreme, probably on my weight. I kept my weight, um, maintained it. But then when I got into my early fifties, it was really hard. I, I just, the scale started going up and I was like, mm, I'm kind of eating the same thing. What's going on? Well, I need to work out. And I, you know, I thought I ate healthy, but then come, I really wasn't getting the right nutrition. I was constipated. So yeah. Shakeology really helped me with that. So, um, but you know, I just, I just started, you know, really taking care of myself and doing the things that it required. And I think the community, you know, the, the great thing that Beachbody provides is a community, you know, you have a coach built in when you buy a program. Yeah. And so what Beachbody did for me is make me realize I can have my own business, even though the model of network marketing really isn't your own business, but it kind of gives the training wheels, right? Yeah. You kind of are your own boss in a sense. And so I was doing that. It was still kind of a side hustle type of thing. But then I started going to conferences on like business, you know, how to build different streams of revenue. I was always very fascinating. I love to learn and I love to conceive ideas. And, and I was doing this really great course on Facebook. And it was, uh, what did I call it? Five Days to a Better You. And it was really to, to meet people. And people loved it. People loved it. It was just a five-day free group. And so I went, I went to, um, actually, it was Marketing Impact Academy. I'll give her a little plug. Shalene Johnson's um, annual conference. Uh-huh. And she, I left that conference knowing I wanted to create a course. So that was my first endeavor of like building my own course and marketing my own course that was unrelated to Beachbody. It was, it was really about how to have a better, more positive experience in life. And um, I actually created it. It was called My Path to a Better Me. Uh-huh. And That's so, great. yeah, four modules. And um, I did that all on my own. I really didn't. I mean, Shalene, Shalene's, you know, conference gave me the idea. Yeah. But I didn't, I didn't have anybody to help me. So a year ago, I was really not wanting to do the health and fitness thing anymore. It was, and like I say, it's all a journey, you know, we evolve and our journey takes us to the next train stop on where we're supposed to go. But I just, when um, I signed up for James Wedmore's business by design, because I knew I wanted to do a course and I knew I wanted to help people who were in, in the middle of their life. I didn't know what that looked like or what that would turn into, but I signed up and I, I say to people, you need to have, there's so much education available on the internet. Just find who is doing what you need or what you want and latch onto them and learn what they're teaching. A lot of the stuff's free too. And then, you know, keep what's real, what really helped me was two things, meditating and journaling Yeah, and journaling and, and being coached. I never invested in a coach. I mean, you think, you know, I need a coach to like personal trainer kind of coach, but you never think about the, I mean, life coaching is more common now, but you never think that somebody like you or I is gonna, gonna really help. Like I, I know a lot of people in our age group have no idea how much a mentor could help move them much quickly and accelerate their transformation to whatever they want to be. And so I, 
you know, it's been incredible. I now have three coaches. So <laughs> that's, yeah. that's interesting because I, um, I read this book by Jack Canfield back in, I want to say, him. I want to say 2010 called the success principles. I love that's one of my one favorite. Of, yeah. Books. One of the books that's one of the books that that's life changing and it's on, it's on yes. my website as a recommended book. Yeah. And one of the principles is hire a coach. And uh, I would say that in in twenty, I think it was twenty ten or twenty eleven. I actually I do I went through the Jack Canfield coaching program um, as a as a as a customer, and it's a twenty week program. And what I did in that time was I quit my job. I opened my own surgical practice um, in in that time. So it was between twenty eleven and twenty twelve, and I reopened my practice in twenty twelve um, as an independent practitioner again to get out of a, a corporate medicine situation that I hated, and I created a, a you know a job and a life I loved. And then what's happened for me is that um, as menopause hit me and I gained fifty pounds, it was like what the hell's happening here. I, I went looking for some help, and be, I'm a beach body coach too. I you know I I but. I didn't, didn't get that same relief like you did. You know, mm. uh, I, I did the programs religiously. I drank the Shakeology, but I didn't get that relief. And so I mm. said, well, I need to do more. And mm. so I did a bunch of research and I spent three years researching, trying to figure it out. I went looking for help for menopause, right? Looking for a, a, a course or anything, anything to help me. And I couldn't find it. And so I spent all this time researching about, you know, how to move, uh, what to eat, and how to think. And those three things have really evolved into the course of membership that I offer now. Oh, that's great. That's great. I, yeah. I think that, you know, it's, that's all a lesson for us to then take what we learn and then help people. I mean, yeah, you know, yeah. I mean, it wasn't easy for you because maybe it was easy for me because I wasn't supposed to be teaching and I was supposed to like, my journey was supposed to happen to the way it did now, but definitely, um, and so it evolved for me into, and I remember my first hot seat coaching and it was like one of the exercises was if you are standing in a room full of people, what do you want them to know? What, like you only have so much time to, to give them this really impactful message. Yeah. And what is it? And it was so clear to me that what I wanted to say was, you are never too old to dream a new dream, to start something new and to be live the best life. Because I was sitting there at 47 thinking like I, this life is like, I have no passion whatsoever. And I wanted people to dream a dream that they were passionate about to have something don't, doesn't matter where you are now, just start taking the little baby steps and so within 90 days of signing up with James as my coach and doing his course, I had a program Yeah, and that's my heart now. And that's what, how I serve and what I love to do. Yeah. So and you get that. addicted to the transformations of your customers. Um, and I think, I think that's, that's what has been mm -hmm. so transformational for me. Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, I did a launch, the first launch was, you know, 12 people and, of those 12, I think about six or seven of them really went through the, the program. But every single one of them had a major transformation in their lives. They started to feel better about themselves. They started taking action in different ways. They started understanding that menopause is just a thing. And mm -hmm. it doesn't have to be a, you know, like a full-time job managing it, right? And, and, um, and then, you know, in the, in, the next, in the next cohort, you know, that we've had even bigger transformations. You know, one of the, one of the ladies... Ah, it's so excited. It's just like I get teary thinking about it. But hmm. she she had a near drowning as a child. Wow. And halfway through the course she started taking swimming lessons. Wow. And she swims. That's now. awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just just little things like that that just, you know, and then I've got another one who's like all of her relationships with her family and everything have just blossomed because of uh something that was really shameful in her past that she decided to let go of. Mm. and turn turn the story around mm -hmm. and um and there's just story after story after story like that and we just love teaching yeah things you know well i think what people also don't realize is the community that of of the, the like-minded people you learn so much i've learned so much through my process yeah. being in these groups and i know that my community is learning from each other i'm doing a workshop right now and 
like last night I had um, my first of three and videos and they're all talking with each other, you know, strangers from the internet. Yeah. And it was just so rewarding to me. I, I woke up this morning feeling like, you know, I don't know if I feel like one of the Washington nationals who won the world series. Maybe that's a little extreme, but like definitely won a game last night because of, you know, these people I saw perceptions changing. I saw, you know, aha, they were sharing aha moments they got from the session. So the community that is being built through what we do, I think is really powerful. Yeah. The community aspect is really important. And you know what, uh, <laughs> my group is, they call themselves the minnow mates. Oh, I like that. <laughs> yeah. Good to have a name. Yeah. They, they name themselves. The guy says you need a name. Yeah. They, they name themselves. And then, um, and and then when we have our our weekly calls, they call them Zoom ins. Zoom ins. Yeah, Zoom ins with the minnow mates. That's cute. Yeah, yeah. So, like my, so my group is so my program is called Make the Rest Your Best. Yeah, and so we're calling each other besties. We're besties. Which oh, is like, see, that's great. Yeah, um, it's just shortcut, you know. Too, it's easy, but it's you know, you know, you do turn into besties when you you know, you share vulnerable things. Sure. Yeah. So, um, so where can people find you? So the best place to find me is not your average grandma.com okay. because that's my website. And so I'm not your average grandma on Facebook. I'm not your average grandma with underscores between the words on Instagram. Uh, cause I don't know who, but somebody had that. Um, when I went over to Instagram a that's while okay. ago, yeah. So I'm pretty much on social media a lot. My kids have taught me how to use it. That's good. I on Facebook, I say, because I was stalking my kids. Well, you know, so. our, our age group is on Facebook. That's where our audience is. Yeah, yeah. We, we don't yeah. we don't use Twitter as much unless you're Trump. Um, and, and well, I on Instagram, I, my, my kids Instagram. and all their friends are on Instagram. Yeah. And so if I want to see what's going on with them, I got to go over to Instagram. Yeah, yeah. The younger, yeah. Gr the younger group is on Facebook, is on Instagram. Although older people are going to Instagram too now. But, but you know, our audience is on Facebook and that's, and that's just perfectly fine. I mean, Facebook is a, yeah. is a good platform yeah. for us. There's lots of guys looking for a gilf on instagram yeah you know well, yeah. a grandma yeah well yeah. We'll, we'll leave it there <laughs> yeah for sure yeah. so um so if you have questions for Lori, um please send an email to me drgordon at menopausemovement.com and i can bring Lori back for a q a session so if you have any specific questions for me again that's drgordon at menopausemovement.com Lori, i want to thank you for being a part of the menopause movement i can't wait to have you come back and talk to us again oh well thanks so much it's been really fun this has been great all right yes yeah, you even got me to share my most embarrassing story <laughs> <laughs> i don't know how that happened but oh <laughs> uh, you just did it uh, yeah Hey, it's Dr. Michelle Gordon, and thanks for listening to this episode of the Menopause Movement Podcast. In this episode, we talked quite a bit about the Menopause Movement membership and the Menomates. And if you'd like to become one of the Menomates, just head on over to menopausemovement.com and we'll tell you all about it. Thanks so much for being a part of the Menopause Movement Podcast.